So we're doing free self-defense class in blocks of 30, 15 women each. Wow. And we've we sold out the first three hours pre-12 o'clock. Incredible. Mm. It, it, incredible. Really it goes to show you how, uh, how relevant it is at the moment, you know? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's a, it's a, big, it's a big subject. It's a, hot, it's a hot topic. It's sad, but it's a hot topic. I think you've summed up everything I've said in the last two, like seven days, basically. Hi, right, John Hastings, you're right. I'm good, Kevin. I'm good. Keeping busy, keeping the head down. Good. Things with you. Yeah, good. Doing the complete opposite as usual. So yeah, uh, yeah, I, I see that. I see that. <laughs> During a time when the entire planet Earth is taking it handy, you're uh, actually getting busier with the look of things. So yeah, we've like. got a few projects on the go. Um, but this this one's more of a labor of love for me. It gives me a great chance to catch up with people. Yeah. Um, me and you have spoke so much over the last few years about topics. Yeah. Um, it's always ended up being one or two liners because we all know that at tournaments, you just don't get that chance to speak. That's exactly um, it, yeah. I guess the, the first thing for everybody else, this is going to be a really interesting one for me because I know a lot about you, but I also know nothing about you and full <laughs> background. So I know I can make the assumption. So I'm going to be... Yeah. No, starting properly this time. So let's talk martial arts history background first. Sure, no problem at all, Kevin. Um, first of all, thanks for having me on today. It's great, it's great to be here. It's great to be chatting with you again. Um, I started in uh, Kempo Karate in 1986 here in, in, in Dublin. The year um, I was born, it was a good yeah. year. <laughs> well, you, you know, that's, a common, that's a common theme now for all of these uh, interviews. You know, oh yeah, that was before I was born, yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, 1986, I was, now to put it into context and to give me a little bit of a re reprieve, I was seven years of age, so uh, I didn't spend too long in Kempo, um, Kev, I, I did a summer, I got the yellow belt, and then I, I didn't go back the following year, but I still had, a, still had a big interest in martial arts, Bruce Lee was everywhere at the time, Yeah. and uh, the big people were watching his videos and trying to emulate what he did in those videos and that, so um, in 19... In 1987, the Taekwondo Club moved in, called the Irish School of Taekwondo, moved into a sports hall uh, not far from where I was living. And uh, myself and two friends said we'd go up and watch and uh, see what it was all about. So we went in and we were just blown away by what was going on in the class. You know, the instructor was a, he was a stocky man, he was a small, stocky guy with a booming voice, you know, and uh, all the commands were in Korean and Amazing. Just like the military, all the students were Amazing. lined up in white doll box and they were just flashing out these kicks that we, we generally didn't see in Kempo. The Kempo was great, don't get me wrong, but just Taekwondo had that, that little bit more for us as, as young lads anyway. And uh, we joined, the instructor came down and his name is Tom Carty, man who had a very big impact on me as a young man growing up in uh, Dublin's inner city. It kind of shaped, I think, shaped who I am today in terms of me as an instructor and, and as a coach. And I'll be forever grateful for his uh, for his input. Um, he came down and spoke to us, and we joined the following week. And I've been involved been involved ever since. So that was 1987. I opened up my own club then in 2004 with a pal of mine who came through the same club. Joined uh, Akai as it was back then, so the association, also Kickboxing Association of Ireland, which is now Kickboxing Ireland. Joined that in 2005 with my club. So. As kids growing up, we would have we would have uh, competed in all the Taekwondo tournaments plus the kickboxing tournament. So we, we were kind of an open club. We weren't affiliated with the IPF, so we didn't have to stay within that system. We could go and compete anywhere at all. So okay. I kind of brought that that philosophy with me into my own club in 2004. Joined Akai as it was back then in 2005. I uh, started to um, train young young guys and young girls, and eventually we made some impacts into the national team for kickboxing Ireland, and, and then. Went on to win a couple of major titles. Firstly, the junior European title with Lauren back in 2012 yeah. or 13, and then just built on it from there. And now a handful of European and, and world titles, sparkle world titles in, in the bag. Um, and here we are now. So that's my martial art background, Kev. So I've been coaching for uh, nearly 20 years now, and about 10 of those years um, has been at international level. So I went on to be national coach for Kickboxing Ireland in Light Contact. Did that for five years and uh, now currently sit in the position of director of coaching, which is predominantly around kind of coach education within mm -hmm. kickboxing. While we're, uh, while we're talking about education, can you give us a little bit of an insight there? Because for me, this is one of the biggest shifts from the outside. I'm not saying this has never been a focus, but from the outside looking in, 
there's been a major shift from your social media or mm. from the perception of others, including myself, that education is now obviously playing a major part in how you attack things. Yeah. Um, what's your What's your background in regards to this? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great point, Kev. Um, I was always a coach that was always looking and willing to upskill myself and to, to learn as much as I, as I could. And I had a, a really good kind of textbook understanding of coaching and, and developing uh, you know, physically and mentally, the, the athlete. I got an opportunity to go back to college in 2018. Yeah, I got a, a text from a friend of mine uh, who was a lecturer in Tralee IT, which is in County Kerry here in Ireland, to say that a master's course, a master's degree course in coaching and performance science was now being um, promoted at University College Dublin. And he suggested I should look into it, and I did. I got accepted onto the course. I did a two-year master's degree uh, part-time in, in coaching and performance science. Um, and it, I suppose it was a great course. It was, it was a, a bit of a life-changing course, to be honest with you. It brought everything that I knew in terms of my textbook understanding of things, validated a lot of stuff, but it taught me how to critically engage with and analyze the, uh, you know, the information that's out there around physical development, physiological development of athletes, strength and conditioning, uh, sports psychology, nutrition. You know, and all those all those lovely topics that cover uh, coaching the athlete. Uh, I've learned a lot, and I've continued to study and I've continued to research. I I, um, I qualified with a first class honours in, in in that degree last year, Congratulations. which was nice. Yeah, which was nice to get. It was tough. I won't I won't uh, won't like you, Kev. It was a yeah. tough course. It nearly broke me at times, but I stuck the pace. And uh, I'd highly recommend it to anyone in Ireland who was looking at that particular course from a coaching perspective. And I've just stayed the course, Kevin. I've got really interested in the physio and exercise physiology, sports science, performance science, and coaching. And I've just I've just kept with the research. I've kept with the reading. And um, I've brought what I've learned from my dissertation topic, which was around cycling, functional threshold power and cycling, which was really an investigation into energy systems and power production within cycling. And I've kind of trying to try to extrapolate a lot of that information into what's available for combat sport athletes. So. Right, so that's, my, that's just yeah. My, my goal at the moment, Kevin, without patronizing anybody out there, there's a lot of great coaches with a lot of great information, is to try, but there's still a huge gap. There's still a huge gap between yeah. what the science, the sports science is saying, and what's happening uh, from a traditional perspective within coaching and martial arts in particular. I'm just trying to bridge that gap. I'm just trying to put information out there. People can interact with it if they want. I'm not particularly pushed by it if they do or if they don't. But the information is there, and I'd like to think people will engage with it and learn from it. You know, so that's kind of my, my driver at the moment. And it's it's pretty much since we've been locked down here that I've been putting a little bit more effort into social media and yeah. Instagram in particular. Yeah, that's that's where that's coming from. Kev. I think it's uh, so everything you've highlighted there for me as a coach, I pride myself on I talk about it a lot on being a good coach, right? That's my my driving force. Hmm. Um, but I I appreciate. In my own knowledge set there's gaps right um i think what makes combat sport very interesting in my opinion is there's so many facets of being a great coach that you're never it never feels or at least from my perspective it never feels like you're gonna you know trivial pursuit with a little and you're putting the little pies in the little the wedges yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, always yeah, missing yeah. a couple of wedges right yeah, and that's yeah, what yeah. it feels like um <laughs> yeah. yeah and for me i think I cover certain bases of pies that people won't ever get in their career. Yeah. But then I look at this stuff and it feels so unobtainable um, yeah, because it feels, well, especially for my life, my life more now than ever, as you highlighted, is spinning plates. And um, I'm, I'm five seconds away from any one given plate crashing. That's how I feel right now. Yeah, 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 um, sure. So for the balance, I think you're creating. And I do feel like your social media and the format of your social media allows people to have the opportunity to engage with you it never feels condescending it mm. never feels like i know something you don't no 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 it does always feel like I, well, how many times have i one-lined you saying john yeah. talk about that what's that about like and i'd like to think that there's enough humble coaches out there that are probably behaving in the same manner right yeah yeah absolutely i get i get messages from people from all across the world i was talking to a comeback and coach from Canada last week I was talking to a nutritionist from Latvia this morning it's uh, an, an performance analyst from the Netherlands who used to fight with the uh, WACO team there a couple of couple of weeks back or a couple of years back 
Uh, yeah, so it's been great in terms of engagement with people. And, you know, sometimes I'm deliberately provocative just to see what... Comes have back. noticed, yeah. Yeah, that, and, you know, I'm just, I'm just dropping stuff out there to see what kind of traction it gets. And yeah. But my goal is to kind of, you know, again, without being patronising or condescending in any way to, to athletes and coaches, is to just try and, try and get people to kind of take stock of what they're doing in the training because there's so yeah. much... There's so much stuff that athletes are doing and they're training their backsides off with the training in the wrong direction on many, in many occasions. Many cases. We're going to touch on a lot of that because I, yeah. I've grown, um, obviously Natasha being my wife and my, my team being quite proactive from a competitive point of view. Sure. Mm. Uh, we have numerous group chats and uh, we, I brought this up and there's a lot of questions that people who do follow you that um, I'm, I'm going to kind of just throw at you a little bit today. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, cool. I hope we can answer them now. Yeah, so do I. Where's, where's my book? Where's that book gone? Where's um, that book? Let's, cool. let's just get into it. Like the, the first one, which always makes me laugh because I've seen it a few times. Yeah. Um, in fact, before we get to that, do you think you would have gone to the detail you've gone without the lockdown that we've had? That's a good question. Because this has given us mm. a lot of opportunities, even for me personally, there's certain things now that I would not have done if if this didn't happen i wouldn't have had the time to even consider it i'm just yeah, curious for yeah. someone who's obviously has such passion in it restarted re-education pre-lockdown and has now gone into this what feels fully fledged do you yeah. feel like you'd be able to commit to it as much as you've done without the pandemic i'd like to think so i'd like to think so okay so i've got a little routine going where i try and spend we've got, we've got two young kids here and try and balance that you know it's like and balance parenting and bedtime and dinner time and nappy changes and i, I try yeah. get and my wife nadine is great she's fantastic she's a wonderful support to me i try to get an hour or two where i can just read and research and what helps me a lot kev in my own learning is not just reading something and trying to absorb it but reading it and then writing it down again and yeah. that's what i do with the social media i write it down again and then i hope to get interaction from people who will question it challenge it and might even push me to go and look at what i've written and then maybe look a little bit more to into what that means so for me it's very much part of the learning process and i'd like to think i would and i have plans in the future for bringing all of that that science in terms of what's written down into a more practical environment within a sports performance gym focused on combat sports so that's the long-term plan we definitely get you over like obviously we've had this new crossfit gym that we've uh, spent yeah. a lot of time on yeah. and um looks great you've got a tunnel from your martial arts matted area to what is probably a, a great, literally one building. It looks like an, like the letter H, capital. Excellent. So martial arts school, there's your combining tunnel, and then you're straight into the CrossFit gym. Excellent. Um, so they're actually, they're actually a joint, are they? Yeah. That's super. So that's, that's for our guys at squad training, when we get back to it, the adults will start, and, and this is, I'm going to pose the first question to you now. They'll start in either one of the halls. Yeah. So the first question, are we working out or are we sparring first? Oh, <laughs> I think are they, are they novice? Are they novice athletes that you're dealing with? Are they people coming to the sport for the first gonna, time? No, absolutely not. Hmm. So it's this age-old question, and I've done both teaching seminars myself. Yeah. Like people come into seminars, and I'll teach them. I'll I'll do no sparring at all because ultimately it's the finished product. I don't need to see sure. you spar. Yeah. I'm not really that interested. I'm, I'm more interested in teaching you something. Yeah. Or I'll get them to spar straight away, so I gauge people at their best while yeah. they're fresh that makes sense. or the old age old one the, the not so much me but the the instructor in the past who smashes them for 50 minutes yeah, and then man. showing me 10 minutes of performance sparring which yeah. looks terrible yeah. um yeah back to the original question are they going to go through like a, a workout which does include a barbell by the way um <laughs> or are they um, or are they going to show me the finished product sparring. If you had it your way, yeah. is there a routine you'd stick to or is there a rule of thumb that might help people? Yeah, I mean, ideally, it's, you'd even split them on separate days, Kevin, if you could, depending mm. on the load. But um, yeah, I mean, in theory, the learning should be done first, right? While they're cognitively fresh, they're able to process information, take in information and apply that information within their, within their sport-specific training. If you were to reverse that and you were to get them to do, you know, a, a hell of a workout first, well, then you're not getting them in their best shape for learning, right? They're going to be cognitively stressed. They're going to be physically and physiologically stressed. 
And you know, you've only got you've only got people for a small window of time before fatigue yeah. kicks in and they switch off, and you know, before you know it, the whole thing becomes a little bit of a chore. And then if you if you've got fatigue athletes trying to work on sport specific um, tactics or strategy, and because they're tired or you know overwhelmed and it's not going right, well, then you've got pissed off um, yeah. athletes. You know, so it's a fine balance, Kev, for sure. Yeah, I think from my perspective, you're you're always best getting the learning done first building your conditioning on that and as well as that there's an element of conditioning within our sport specific training as well massive massive yeah 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 huge i mean while we're moving around while we're i mean sparring is conditioning it doesn't get any more specific. i've seen you on i've seen you answer that so, yeah um, yeah sport specific conditioning for kickboxing sparring and you put sparring 100 <laughs> percent. yeah it doesn't get any more specific you know and, and sometimes we get a little bit distracted by all of these other modalities, these other shiny objects that yeah. we use for conditioning when, you know, you can't get any more specific for your sport than doing your sport. You know, you can do all the other supplementary stuff to, to kind of aid that and to target certain physiological parameters. And look. But, you know, for us, sparring is our sport and we, you know, we, we gain a lot of conditioning uh, both physically and cognitively and mentally from actually just engaging in sparring, you know. Throwing, throwing the devil's advocate in there. Um, yeah, yeah. Footballers, yeah, play football, yeah, for ninety minutes. They do on game day. Crazy. <laughs> but beyond that, they're not really playing a full match, right? Yeah, generally they'll use different. Yeah, the coaches will use different formats for for their training. Small sided games. The S and C coaches within soccer, especially from a professional point of view, have a huge hand in preparing the, uh, those soccer athletes for the big event. But they're always, they're always skill developing, and depending on yeah. the coach's philosophy, they're always working with their, in small-sided games is the concept of um, making the pitch smaller, removing the amount of people. So yeah. you, might have a, you might have a 3v2 or a 6v1 even, you know, and you're just you're developing. It's a constraints-led approach within that, within that coaching environment. I think that's what makes our sport quite interesting because yeah. our skill set does almost instantly translate to our finished product. Totally. Whereas yeah. your footballs and your rugby, like a rugby player couldn't go through a full round of it, but we're quite happy to go for a full round of kickboxing, right? Yeah. Because it seems to be a, a, I don't know what the translation is, but it, is, it does seem to translate better. Hmm. Um, I've got a friend of ours in, in Scotland, a guy called Colin Ritchie. He's the like a sports scientist very similar to yourself actually hmm. um and he works with livingston football club and one of the things i always liked about talking to him more recently when he's in that position was the importance of everything else beyond skill training yeah. in the gym yeah um explosive yeah. compound work yeah. um and it colin talked about this no joke when i first moved up here over 10 years ago and trying to apply it to kickboxing I think even then it was so far in advanced, people just it went straight over their heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a proportion now that still probably like listening to yourself and people like Colin for me, it's just like I'm super open eyed and, and bright, you know, ears are ready to take it all in because yeah, yeah. If you don't listen, you're gonna struggle to comprehend exactly. the detail that is brought to the forefront. Exactly, exactly. And understanding that. You know, you sometimes you don't, as a coach, you don't have to get the finer detail of what a scientific journal says, but it's great if it's interpreted, it can be interpreted from a, from a practical point of view. So ask the question, what does that mean from a practical point of view? So this morning I put up a very detailed post about the difference between what a VO2 max is and VO2 peak. And you could read that and say, that means nothing to me. And I'm sure a lot of people will read and say, that means nothing to me, but it actually does but the question has to be asked, what does it mean for me from a practical point of view? Mm -hmm. Coaches need to ask that question. And that's why, you know, Kev, from, a, you know, from an elite perspective and from high-performance sport, coaches kind of command the program, but they've got sports scientists in the camp. They've got yeah. the performance analysts, they've got their nutritionists, their SEC, yeah. and, you know, the coach meets with them and says, right, what's happening with, you know, what's happening with Kev's hamstrings today? Are they stronger or are they going to pop? Yeah, I like that unity within a team. Yeah. Like, um, again, referring it back to Colin, Livingston Football Club isn't a massive team, but they're, they're small knit coaching staff. Yeah. And it certainly feels like the manager is very much like, you know, in charge of the orchestra. Yeah. And then it's got these little specialists coming in, just making the changes. He doesn't have to fully understand it. No. But what he does have in people like Colin and, and people like yourself 
it's trust. Yes. 100%. Trust that you understand it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's one 100%. of the big things I've, I've taken away from a lot of your posts is you seem to have a really good understanding of taking base level information and research and applying it to combat sport. And I think that's what's been missing recently. I've spoke to a few people in the past. There's been some research done by uh, specifically Wacko Turkey at the time. That's right. Yeah. Um, scientists that have kind of looked at our sport. Yeah. There's um, a few guys in Greece that I know are super knowledgeable, knowledgeable yeah. in regards to S&C stuff yeah. for specific sports, kickboxing, um, like basketball as well. I was chatting to one guy about mm. and um how are you translating that foundation research into our sport with such confidence that you're publishing it? Because if you didn't believe it, you wouldn't say it. I know that's not the type yeah. of person you are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think I've come, I've come at this position nearly uh, from, from, what's the word, from the, from the bottom up as opposed to the top down. So a lot of S&C exercise science people will go into that field first. So they'll come through college and they'll learn about exercise science and physiology, s &C, and then they'll go work with a coach. And they need to learn about the sport. Yeah. I'm the coach. <laughs> I've done 20 years of that stuff and I've gone back. So I've gone back nearly in a, a reverse method and I've gone through that, that system along with other s &C coaches and exercise scientists and stuff like that. What I do have is a unique understanding of my own perspective of what the sport is and what it means. And what yeah. I do know is what those physio physiological and physical demands of the sport are. So once you understand what makes the elite kickboxer work, from a point fighting perspective, from a light contact kick -like perspective, from a, a ring sport perspective, what, what are the elite guys? If you were to take them in, lift the bonnet up on them and look yeah. into the engine, what are we looking at? What makes them tick at such a high level? And as a coach, you get to understand what, you know, what actually does make them tick. So I get the physiological and physical demands of the sport. And all of that's done in terms of research, Kev. You can, you can go into any of the sports science databases and you can look at the research that's been done. You know, from a physiological and physical standpoint, we need a certain amount of anaerobic capacity. We need a certain amount of aerobic capacity. We need explosive power. We need muscular endurance. We need relatively high VO2 max, all that stuff. So you can, that's, your, that's your measure. Yeah. Now, once you understand where you need to go in terms of achieving that, you start to build the foundations in terms of your training program. So what do I need to do to get that anaerobic capacity tweaked so I can be explosive? What do I need to do to get that aerobic capacity tweaked so I can recover in between rounds or even during the rounds so I can keep going? So I'm not burnt out by the time I get to the end of the second round of the championships, for example, and I'm struggling to get through the, the last round. What do I need to develop strength and power? You know, all of those attributes that the elite fighters have. How do I get my guys to do that? We start to put in those scaffolds, a piece of the scaffold, a piece of the, the puzzle in order to get them training in a similar way. That means I have to go back to the research and I have to, unfortunately, there's not a whole pile in terms of just specific combat sport, exercise science and physiology. There's a little bit, there's not much, not much. but there's a massive amount in endurance sport, Kev. Massive amount in yeah. endurance from marathon running, cycling, now, they're totally different sports, but because they've got so in-depth research, you can look in and extrapolate from that and take pieces out. And, you know, like the old Bruce Lee concept, like take what's useful and discard what isn't. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from a cycling perspective, those guys, especially the sprinters, need a really high anaerobic capacity. They call it a VLA max, the, you know, the maximum volume of lactate production. And that equates to power output or, or energy production within those anaerobic pathways. We need that too as combat sport athletes, but in a different perspective. So we take what we know from other sports and we try and extrapolate it and use it within our own sport. And so far it's been pretty it's been pretty successful. And you yeah. can kind of then measure that against the work the uh, the investigations within combat sport itself of what's already been done. And you can just make relatively strong assumptions. Now the caveat within all of that Kev is that there's no one size fits all for an athlete and that's that's right. one of the biggest mistakes we make as, as coaches you know we put everyone through the same program we train them the same way even for the conditioning we don't fully understand whether fighter a needs uh you know has a different physiological or physical need than fighter b but yet we're giving them the same 
same problem. So the real, you know, the real magic within SNC and kind of conditioning and combat sports is it's unique. It needs to be specific to the individual unique. management. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. I think that's. Um, I like that. I think. So let's talk about some anom- anomalies. I can't remember the word. Um, yeah, yeah, anomalies. Yeah. The, the fighters on the circuit that have little to no conditioning, but churn out results, and you'd still never bet against. This is the other side of the <laughs> coin I'm talking about right now. Yeah, the outliers. Side of the coin there. Science has no place. Well, yeah. maybe yeah, it does. Yeah. You can explain it, but muscle memory alone maybe is the argument. But yeah, possibly that have been there for so long and they have that habit of winning. And I'm not going to name names because I'll get shot. But there's there's <laughs> certain fighters there that I've met who are 74 kilos. Yeah, who are now 94 kilos. Fight yeah. very differently. Their common denominator is victory. Yeah, 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 hundred yeah. percent. And you know what? That's the great thing about combat sport, Kev. There's I think so that's many variables. To combat sport, exactly. Yeah, that. there's so many variables. You know, it's not always the best conditioned athlete that wins. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always the person that can bench 120 kilos mm-hmm. or squat 200 kilos that wins or has an anaerobic capacity. You think that's what makes us unique as a sport? Oh, I, th- I think so. I mean, I don't think we're on our own. Um, there are other sports that have similar variables. Mountain biking is one, right? Really? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, part of my research when I was in, in college was on cycling and there was a number of papers on, on mountain biking. And some of these lads were not fit, Kevin, but they were pulling in great performance times because a lot of it's downhill, right? <laughs> so there's not a whole lot of exertion needed, but you need to have a very clued in eye for, you know, when to make the turn, when to make the jump. Yeah, um, and the same. I work in canoe sport here, Kev, and um, canoe slalom is, is similar. Obviously, there's an amount of, of conditioning needed for it. Yeah, there's so many variables because the, the environment is so. Some of the styles of that. Yeah, the canoeing in general, like from the, the Olympics we watch. Yeah, some yeah. of it is brutal. Like, yeah, yeah. the 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 lactate that some of those guys must go through at points within those tournaments. I'd, yeah, I'd, for sure. Think about measuring that. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, some of them are absolute, absolute beasts. Yeah, yeah. But the, but the point is, within within slalom, it's um, it's similar to us. There's just so many variables that a person can win. You know, it's like not always the tallest fighter wins, even yeah. though they've got that advantage of, of reach. And I've got I've got a girl. She got silver at the juniors there, little 2019 at the European Championships, and she got faced against. I think she was a Turkish girl. Uh, she was in the 55 kilo division, Kevin. She was about six foot two. My girl's maybe, I don't know, five foot, five foot six, maybe. So, so normal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was a clear advantage for the Turkish girl. Cool. She didn't know how to use the reach. My girl, because she was used to fighting taller opponents, knows how to come in under the guard. Again, combat the body. Sport. Got, yeah, you combat know, it's just and throws in the joker. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I get so, the, you get the guys right in the sport who. I truly feel their success has come from great foundation yeah. from your side. Let's call it your side of the coin for want of yeah. a better argument. Yeah. They've done the work. They've kind of researched it. People who stand out to me straight away, you've got like Zolt Moradi, who's obviously a very fit young lad. Yeah, yeah. Technically, perfectly capable. But yeah. he, Zolt always looked fit when he fought. Yeah. And he had one of the, the most high expenditure energy-wise mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. style of kicking, but he obviously had fitness foundation there as of an course. individual. Of course. And then you've got Robbie McManamy from Ireland. Yeah. Now, Robbie's a, a funny one because I know Robbie's got a great level of fitness. He loves training, um, obsessed with sparring. So his his conditioning side of it was always yeah. solved because trying to get Robbie to do a drill when he wasn't teaching a seminar was like pulling teeth. He'd rather mm. put a head guard on and spar with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, I truly believe that his, his discipline and foundation through fitness training put him to where he is. And then the closest one to home is Natasha for me. Yeah, I never, ever doubt Natasha's engine. I, and as a coach, that's lovely to feel. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. I, like I said, yeah. I'm there when she gets up first thing in the morning and does her thing. I know I schedule yeah. better than anybody. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got the martial arts on top of it. But I know yeah, yeah, yeah. that when it gets to that moment, that foundation's going to see her through. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they're the guys for me that have probably accidentally done something right, i.e. Yeah. 
what you're talking about, but they maybe didn't know what they were completely doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think I, I think you've named a couple of people there that are just, they are anomalies in themselves, right? They're outliers, they're exceptional athletes. Uh, I know, thought I would highlight them ones rather than the ones that do no training and still win. Yeah, no, you're, <laughs> you're, name, name. <laughs> you're 100%, you know, you're 100%. Um, and, I, and I think because of the skill level and experience that they bring, they've always got that edge. Mm-hmm. But where conditioning comes into it, Kev, is when all variables are equal. Interesting. So the, skill, the skill and experience are the same. The skill and experience are the same. And I think what we'll find when we get into the Olympic Games and the national governing bodies and the national Olympic committees um, and the, the statutory sport bodies within each, each country uh, start to bring kickboxing into their their sports science institutes. So now mm-hmm. all of our athletes will be coming through institutes where there are experts within sports science, tweaking everything we do because we're going to be up against the, the Greeks, British, and talking from an Irish perspective, you know the Germans, the Slovenians. We're all going through that institute, that sports science uh, uh, process, in order to make us that one percent better. When everybody's doing that. Well, then the margins are tiny. And that's why, for example, yeah. in relation to Olympic Taekwondo, you know, a couple of years back, there was so much at stake that there was very little happening within, within the rounds, right? Because the margins were so tight. So yeah. now we're removing, you know, for the want of a better word, we're, we're removing that kind of that disparity in, in experience and skill level. And you've got all of these scientists now looking at our athletes with magnifying glasses saying, how can we make this person better? Because the Spanish are doing it. It's also a massive styling, a massive change in the style, right? Totally. Yeah. So like the scoring system, the sensor systems were adapted and changed. Yeah. And I think if you looked at, like you said, the Olympic WTF style from now until maybe 25 years ago, you would actually be you know under no problems of actually recategorizing it as a different martial art yeah because yeah, totally it, it went so from different. it went from an, an electric i'm not here to argue what's good or bad mm. i know what i personally prefer yeah but you went from this electric spinny you know wheelie type back leg, back leg power shots yeah. to yeah. what's now become a super tactical chess game that yeah. maybe doesn't have the same highlights doesn't mean it's any easier to win um and it's that that for me the biggest difference with the wtf side of things was i feel like the more that came into the light of of the the public there was more to lose and there's more to lose there's a natural change and people started investing in it a lot more and like you said the margins became smaller so you started seeing this shift of entertainment over victory and yeah. that doesn't always equate, right? I know some really super exciting fighters, but they don't always win. Yeah. Do sure. I want to watch them fight all the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. bet they would prefer winning. But then yeah. you look at it and go, well, if you prefer winning, change this, change this, change this. And then you think, well, they haven't. So why yeah. haven't they? Yeah. yeah. Can they not yeah. change or do they just like the way they fight? So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. It's an interesting I, one. Um, next controversial one. Um, <laughs> running oh the important the important foundation for every combat athlete apparently well but, um i've been controversial on this one you know i, I raised this, one. this is my favorite one i've watched yeah. unfold on social media if i'm honest yeah and i'm not i mean look i'm not anti-running at all you um, never know no but <laughs> I do, I do question because you know running targets. I've just lost, I've just lost my, uh, my pants. Here we go. Now, <laughs> <laughs> running targets certain physiological parameters, but you have to run at specific intensities in order to target them. So, you know, one of the overarching principles for for training to get better, athletically better, is to stress certain physiological parameters. So one of those physiological, we can talk about two within, within the scope of conditioning itself, leaving strength and power development aside, but energy production, for example, for a combat sport, we've got two physiological, physiological parameters. One is called the lactate turn point number one, also called the lactate threshold. The second one is lactate turn point number two, also called the lactate threshold by some. What's happening at lactate turn point one 
And what's happening at lactate 1.2 are two very different physiological phenomena. One is a low intensity parameter, the other is a high intensity parameter. For aerobic base building, you need to be targeting, and the science says this 100%, this is something that we can take from endurance athletes every day. The science says in order to develop your aerobic capacity and your, your ability to perform aerobically, you must train at a, at a specific threshold. Now, we can, we can demarcate that or we can identify that by a certain heart rate zone. Yeah. That is a low intensity heart rate zone. If you want to develop your aerobic capacity, you spend a lot of time targeting this particular parameter. That's why running at that particular intensity is useful because it's something you can do for an hour, an hour and a half. You can mm -hmm. do it three or four times a week. It's hard to stress that particular parameter by doing What's hours and hours of sparring, for example. The, re the relevance to point fighting, to light contact? None. None. Well, to, point con to, to light contact and to kick light, there's a little bit. Interesting. So you're subcategorizing yeah. a, a major difference at a scientific level between yeah. point fighting and light contact. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Let's talk about that in a second. Right? I kind of agree with that, but continue. Yeah. But yeah. So uh, when we look at the other threshold, the other threshold up the, up, further up the energy production um, uh, continuum looks at high intensity or, or explosive power yeah. energy production. Now, when we want to when we want to develop what we call anaerobic capacity or anaerobic power, we train at that particular threshold. So that's your high intensity interval training. Yeah. Again, usually usually identified by a heart rate training zone. If you've got if you've managed to get yourself tested, you know you get a you get a printout in your Excel spreadsheet and it tells you your lactate threshold was at this heart rate. So you've got a zone to focus on, and you spend an amount of time developing your capacities at that level. Now, the, the, the magic is getting the balance right because too much of one suppresses the other. Right. This is why in the off-season, it's absolutely fine to spend a lot of time developing that aerobic. Okay, like that. okay that's good. Yeah. Now, to, go, to, to, to kind of peel back the layers of your question there, right? The longer the duration of your event, the more aerobic capacity you need. So, for example, if you've got a five-minute wacko um, pro title fight five rounds you're going to need a little bit more aerobic capacity because your aerobic capacity is the uh, kingpin for recovery while you're fighting and in between rounds so what the aerobic capacity does is the aerobic system does we, we've all heard about lactate and how lactate accumulates in the body and at a certain yeah. point it's associated with although not responsible for fatigue and burning of the muscles and yeah. things starting to shut down the aerobic system a strong aerobic system comes in like a hoover, hoovers up lactate and puts it back into work and, and makes lactate Now you're talking turn back I into... Understand. I am, yeah. I'm understanding now. You're using analogies yeah. right up my street. Now, it suppresses lactate production. That's yeah. where the aerobic capacity for combat sport is really, really useful. From a point fighting perspective, there's a different energy system at play here. So it's the A-lactic, the, the phosphocreatine um, energy production system. It's the same energy system that Usain Bolt relies on to get from A to B uh, as fast as he can in under 10 seconds. So when I stand up here, Kevin, if I was to stand from my chair and go straight up into the air and sit back down again, what's fueling that is an A-lactic energy production system. Now, there's a little bit of there's a little bit going on in terms of in point fighting. There's a little bit there's a little bit of on the toes and then boom, right? It's there. Yeah. So there's there's a massive alactic contribution, but there's also a glycolytic contribution. So there's two. It's well getting too complicated. There's two anaerobic um, there's two anaerobic pathways at, at play, um, and very little aerobic capacity is needed. Now, having said that, there's a small bit needed for when you're recovering in between rounds, and this is why. And that's what makes it interesting because yeah, you, it's not even that. It's the fact that. Point fighters at highest level could be fighting for three days. Yes, that's a good point. So this that's is where point. I think it becomes interesting. And looking at a lot of your stuff recently, I understand at base level, and I truly, truly mean at base level because I, I this stuff yeah. fascinates me. My, my comprehension is of low level, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Same. Um, Don't worry. Yeah. I'm winging it. I'm winging it here. The thing, I, the thing I find fascinating is we, we deliver. You have you, it's all what you're saying, Bolt. You probably would race three times, maybe at the Olympics. Yeah. The heats. Yeah, yeah. A, a point fighter could fight three times in one day and fight three days at the Irish Open, not including yeah, yeah. the event, and yeah, then yeah. doubling up. 
yeah. in the like contact event. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the, the great thing about the, must be harder, right? The, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the great thing about the, the phosphocreatine system, that elactic energy production system, is that it replenishes itself within 12 to 15 minutes. Okay. So after your flight, oh. yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. It replenishes itself pretty quick. It depletes pretty quickly, but it, it replenishes itself pretty quickly too. That's one of the reasons why it's actually a good idea for point fighters to walk in between rounds because they're stimulating their aerobic energy production rather than going and sitting down. And that's something that we can extrapolate just, just from the science of energy production. So uh, a point fighter in between rounds, if they were to move, and I do see a lot of them do it, and I think, I wonder are they doing that because you know the aerobic energy system is no. getting stimulated because they haven't stopped moving. I, I, would, I, would, uh, I would put a fair whack of money on. Yeah, okay. A lot of other things. Well, in- keep doing it, guys. Keep doing it because, you know, the science says it's useful. Now, obviously, look, there's a lot of inter-individual variability, you know, and you, you don't know for it's sure. It's this other side that we're not talking about right now that I find that makes this conversation really interesting because, for me, yeah. my guys will move, just like you're discussing, between rounds. But I know for them, speaking to them, it's the risk of switch-off when yeah. sitting down. Yeah, yeah. takes the priority so we're talking about a coaching aspect or a, a fighting aspect that's not based on science but based on fighter mentality yeah when we talk about running the old school time of why'd you run uh good discipline yeah well i don't know these are that's fine and you can bring that discipline so i mean to go back to that yeah if you go back to the, the conversation of running you can take that discipline into running but run at specific intensities so what you find a lot of the time is guys just head off. They head off yeah. the runs. They're not really they're not really focusing on any physiological parameters such as the first lactate threshold for endurance capacity and recovery adaptations and so that they're just running. Yeah. And, and they're running a distance and they're timing it. I mean that's great if you, if you're doing a time trial for running. Now the the danger in all of that maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but. There's a point between lactate threshold one and lactate threshold two that is defined as no man's land training. Now, from an endurance athlete's point of view, it's not. It's very specific. Yeah. It's within that range that they find what's called a maximal lactate steady state, which is their race pace. So that's the fastest that they can run consistently over a duration of time without fatiguing, right? And they get to go to the lab and they can identify that. And they know that they can run at certain speeds. Uh, you know, marathon speed or whatever, or half marathon speed. We don't have, combat sport athletes don't have a maximal lactate steady state. We are not a steady state sport. We are a combination of explosive combinations, explosive movements, coupled with resting intervals. So we are How many days? Sport. How many days at a tournament would, would then start redefining us as a steady state sport? Because you look at the wacko worlds, Europeans. Yeah. We're there for seven days, John. This yeah, is yeah, yeah. gray areas for me as a coach genuinely kick in. Absolutely, yeah, my yeah. guys are explosive, yeah. but I'm conscious they need to be explosive on day seven. Yeah, absolutely. So to, to, to maybe to put the steady state into context, yeah, that, that is just specific to our actual performance. The event. So the event, absolutely. Yeah. So the steady state, this is where I gloss over things sometimes and I, I, I don't explain myself clearly. The steady state is relevant to lactate production within the blood. So when I start to, to exercise, Kev, the lactate starts to accumulate. And you'll see curves kind of depicting this as it rises in the blood. If I was to go on a run and maintain a low intensity steady state and my heart rate was coming at 130 consistently, my lactate profile would look like a straight line. It's not accumulating anymore. Yeah. Endurance athletes will have that lactate profile where it's at a straight line for a long time. When we start, when the referee says fight, our lactate comes out a little bit. And because we're explosive straight away, it does this Absolutely. and it continues yeah. to go up. So the steady state is, is really within the context of the spar. I find, so I think to- what we do is quite dicey though, in the fact that we're expected or fighters are expected to perform to such an explosive manner. Yeah. And then also be able to carry it over for a sustained period of time. Absolutely. I yeah. think having people like you come into the sport with this knowledge now from a from a coach who had always been in it, I think this is what makes you very, very unique. You've, yeah. you've <laughs> been me and educated yourself further. 
And I think that's what makes me so fascinated about the whole thing because yeah. there's certain aspects now that you're going to maybe fill gaps that I've always questioned but not known. Well, I hope so. The questions are even, you know, even the questions yeah. are only answers. I get you. Yeah, yeah, I get you. No, it's, it's nice to know, Kev. I hope, and I hope it can be of, of, of some assistance. And it, it, it's interesting, like, um, you know, you, when you start at championships and, you know, you could be there for the week and you could be fighting over four days, but I guarantee you by day four, you are not in the same physical state as you were on day Absolutely one. Absolutely not yet. Yeah, the expectation. Your performance, the expectation, well, it's nearly, it's, it's nearly an inverse relationship. Isn't exactly. One goes down as one, one goes up. up. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, I th- and that's I think that's the magic of coaching, isn't it? Absolutely. Keep that level across the uh, because you're never going to keep that level up, like you said. It's it's already it's, 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 it's down from the first time the referee says yeah. fight, and I think that's where the it's other aspects of coaching yeah. have to yeah. kick in. Absolutely. Personal and you know what? Like this, this is where this is where other elements of sports science are, are really useful. Nutrition, nutrition post fight, psychology. Nutrition, Yes, I call, absolutely. Nutrition, psychology, post and, and, and pre-fight, and making sure the recovery is good. You know, so you're getting to bed. You know, all of our recovery is done while we're fast asleep. Kev, you know that. Mm-hmm. Getting to bed early, making sure that we've got a good night's sleep. So we're reducing the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system, which gets activated when we become physically stressed. And the more that's activated over the course of a week, the more we're starting to wind down and grind down on our performance and our performance output starts to taper off. That's why I love this thing. They're a great thing altogether. Yeah, yeah. Like Yeah, like yeah. I don't really buy into much stuff, but to watch my own sleep or to see the difference of when I take like ZMA and potassium in my recovery, my rest in heart rate, my heart rate variability. Yeah. Like it's it's a weird one because we get competitive in my household yet we're all very very different so when yeah. someone feels like they're they're number one in recovery you, you take the celebration but you realize like you know person two i.e natasha did like you know four thousand workouts the day before of yeah, course, yeah 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 like, i'm recovering from speaking to john via zoom um, <laughs> to be individually competitive is pointless but what i do feel is uh, a sense of not even I must, but I want to like yeah. I want to get to bed earlier. Yeah. I yeah, want yeah. to see my heart rate down a little bit. Yeah. Have you read the science, Kev? Have you read the papers? Have you read any of the, the research about the, the, the hoop, the hoop band? Oh, I read the, the It's good. exactly what you just said. So guys and girls are now starting to pay more attention, getting mm. to bed early, to how they feel in the morning time, to making sure that they're recovered. Where beforehand, it's like, it's like they might have not paid much attention to it. It's like having your mom who can't shout at you. Like, you know exactly. what she's saying is probably yeah. right, but ultimately, yeah. it's your choice if you ignore her. 100%. 100%. Um, your mommy's attached to your wrist there, you know, hey, she's telling you when to get to bed. Yeah, no. yeah, I, it's I really, great, and they're really good for that, you know. It's also that, but also, I don't know if you, how much you've read into yourself, John, but during the beginning of COVID, due to, um, I haven't got my phone on me, but... I think it was uh, some sort of latency to do with uh, breathing, like your breathing latency. They were saying that they were picking up on cases of COVID-19 prior to people being actually diagnosed with it. Wow. So they noticed that the people's breathing had changed slightly yeah. and they were actually using it as a precursor to there might be something going on here. And they distributed a few to hospitals. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Like, I didn't know that. I'll send you the article because it's one of the better ones. It's really detailed. It's on their podcast as well, I believe. And um, just hearing that aspect of it was really interesting. They were looking at it and going, oh, because that latency shouldn't change by maybe Mm. one or two. But people who were then coming down with COVID-19 for the first time was changing by four or five or five or six. They were like, it was kind of becoming like a little red light. Um, But even now the buttons added... You could be conspiracy all you want, but the button adds to your recovery score. So now it says at the end of your journal, it says to you, uh, you can click a button to see if you've had the first vaccine. Wow. It monitors it. Now, what I found interesting about this is Jess, who lives with me and Tasha and is part of Wolfpack. She had in the green recovery all week. Um, she then gets her second uh, COVID jag the day after her recovery scores, the lowest I've ever seen it at, was over wow. 1% or 3%. Wow. 24 hours later, yeah, he was back in the green again. Wow. So Incredible. 
and it had to have been the vaccine. There was yeah. no other variables to show such a shift. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all in the green. Thursday gets it. Friday dramatically drops, like from 86% recovered down to one. I think it was a three. Never seen anything lower. And well, following 24 hours, spikes back up again to normal level. COVID-19 for recovery, man. You've got it. The COVID-19 vaccine has the answers to our recovery problems. <laughs> I think I was just literally like, it might, her body must have literally been taking that vaccine on and you know, feeling the effects of our body making the adjustments. Yeah, of course. Yeah. For the band to even pick up on anything. That's a very subtle change, isn't it? Obviously, the body's been infected subtly by uh -huh. you know, elements of, of, of the virus, so we can yeah. develop antibodies and stuff. But yeah. for it to pick up on that, it's really interesting, isn't it? I'll send, I know you'll want to see it anyway, so I'll send you some of it. Yeah, after. please do. It was fast. I was like, oh, my God, like, this is, this is amazing. Um, you, know, you can nearly monitor the vaccine working. <laughs> It would, incredible, yeah. Honestly, it felt like it, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah or at yeah. least at the point of where it had been taken, you go, okay, oh. well, anyone who says it's placebo effect, they're injecting us with nothingness. I would probably have yeah. a pretty good <laughs> argument now. Yeah, exactly, honest. yeah. Um, Massively interesting. Let's go back to something a bit more casual in regards to kickboxing. Um, tell me about some of the, your favorite competitors over the last few years and what you've enjoyed about the male, female oh, points. Wow. Points or light contact, I'm not really bothered. Like, I'm a massive fan of like tatami sport in general. So, what's yeah. is there any standouts that you've enjoyed seeing their progress, or is there have you got a favorite fighter in mind? Oh, I mean, yeah, I've, 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 I've loads. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan, I'm a huge fan of Tommy Stevenson. I know, I mean, he's from our camp right here in Ireland. I think Tom, I'm a big fan of Tommy Stevenson, he's not from mine, so yeah, he's a, he's a phenomenal fighter, he's one of my favorites. Um, I, I think even predating that, I know Desi's kind of taking a bit of a break now and he's gone off to travel the world, but Desi Leonard Jr. was a, an, an amazing, yeah. an amazing fighter. He, he made he made it look like he wasn't doing anything. He had this amazing presence in, in the ring. I was able to pull off the most crazy looking angles and counter shots like without nearly breaking a sweat, you know. So I think those two guys, my favorite, I think my favorite female fighter would be Ursha, Ursha Perdin from uh, Slovenia. Oh yeah, yeah. Big like, fan, right. a big fan. I mean Ursha, she's a she's a such a super person, which probably helps. Yeah. Um, God. Picking her as a great fighter. Did, she's did a, you just pick did you just pick a non-scientific element for why you like a fighter? Yeah, though? well I mean look it's it's uh <laughs> It's you all just, relevant, you isn't just it? Touch onto <laughs> human nature. How dare it's you? Qualitative. It's qualitative. It works. <laughs> it works. She's a great, she's a great fighter. Obviously, from 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 the Thomas Barada camp. And uh, you know, I've been watching Borussia um, come through the Taekwondo ranks as a junior. She won the juniors in 2013 when when Lauren won hers, and uh, she's just a super technical, tidy fighter. Yeah. Um, and I was I was I was there in Slovenia when she beat Anna Anishnar. Um, in the minus 70s in the European Championships final. Which is no mean feat. It's no a... mean feat whatsoever. I mean, we came close to Anishinaar in the World Championship final here in Dublin. Um, I was there. I watched it. Yeah, we just couldn't get past that big leg, that big chamber that she just lifts up and everything gets closed off. And, we, you know, we came close. It was in a point. Yeah, she beat us by a point that day. It was a great fight put in. It was, it was, great, to see, it was great to see Ursha doing it. Super tactical, closed down the leg, came up over the knee with the spear jab. And uh, yeah, I was able to work on the inside. And what do you think of the? So you talked about Thomas Barada there, and I attribute Thomas and a couple of others to the the change in dynamic with light contact in Waco. 100%. And I think now, like we talk about, I think it's closer is closer to points more than ever wow, due to the yeah. shift in, shift out. For example, in Scotland, in GB, our, our full contact kickboxing at a time was very brawly and it was it was very much continual. Yep. I think now we look at this style and it's short, sharp, explosion, yep. in, out, break, switches here, sharp finishes yeah. there. And I attribute yeah. a lot of that to the involvement of ITF guys. 100% um, Kev, yeah. Half my like contact team are now ITF who yeah. found me because they saw me go in um to you know wacko tournaments wanted to come and play um scientifically that's why i was quite interested that you split points and like contact i think that split now has got to be smaller than ever before due to yeah it's, it's 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 possible kev for sure i mean look there's, there's new rules now coming down the road that have kind of pulled I've, like contact on sunday actually yeah, so yeah yeah they've got the the, the new the, the new rules are going to change the dynamic of like contact 
But I think you're right. I think I think Barada was the was the real catalyst for change for like okay. tech. He was the first Taekwondo guy to go in there. Absolutely dominated. Um, the old school kind of flat footed, full contact style. Gone. Just obliterated by his his speed, his lead leg tactics. He was able to switch back kick on a five cent piece. I've actually held a kick shield for that one, by the way. Yeah, you know, for 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 a small guy, I mean, he's not tiny, but for a small guy, he can develop. So he's, so he's quite. A, he's a small guy compared to me, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, I've yeah, run exactly. it. I've run at him with a kick shield, and he hit me with a jumping back kick. Yeah, he's um, just so efficient. You know, oh my even God. a big influence. The power on him. ratio I felt through my body that day. It was one of those yeah. top ten big biflex ones. No, yeah, yeah. And I went, oh yeah, and I went, this in here, you'll be fine, yeah. you'll be fine. I'm like with Danny Slevin, who's literally like the level <laughs> on your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, Danny, I'll do it. So I ran at him and bam. Yeah. I was like, and my back just cracked really nice, pleasantly, actually. It, was, it wasn't like death. It was more like, ah, oh, that's gone now. <laughs> but, like a trip to the chiropractor. Yeah. But yeah, the efficiency, yeah, yeah. Technically, technical efficiency is absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. And, and explosive ability like no other. And he paved the way for, for everyone else within the IPF system to go into wacko and yeah. i think itf taekwondo has changed like contact or has changed like contact over the years massively came in similar style to thomas barada i'd love to have seen natasha fight her that's the one fight i always say oh well yeah i mean that would have been an absolute classic you pay big money to go and see that fight you know it would have been great because I, yeah. I really i say that with absolute respect by the way because i see the way that she dominated itf and I see the way Natasha maybe dominated in certain aspects of hers, but well, she's obviously won Irish Open like contact alone. Yeah. Four, she's won the double in like contact for the last two years. One of them That's the right. same year she had the baby. That's right. Um, yeah. And imagine that in a ring or on like a little raised platformy type spectacle. Oh, uh, yeah. Wouldn't it be fantastic. So Sinead Beasy gave her a great fight. Do you remember that? Really, really close. Really close. That was in 2013, I think. Yeah. In Turkey. Yeah. 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 And Beasy is some fighter as well. So, it was definitely in the making of her. There's, there's yeah. some big girls there that I'd love to have seen catch a fight a bit more of, maybe. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And it's a pity. I mean, she's retired now, and yeah, deservedly so. She's got I don't know how many world titles under her belt oh. and European titles, but it's it's phenomenal. But and you know the the um yeah, I mean ITF has really changed the style of like contact. But then, Wacko changed the ring size in 2014 or 2015, and everything changes. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, Adam Shelley's probably one of the most recognizable ITF Taekwondo fighters in the world now, multiple 100%. world champion. Yeah. You know, I was national coach at the time, and, you know, I had Adam bagging a medal at the European Championships in Slovenia that year. The change of the ring size destroyed him. You know, he's a, he's a long distance fighter. He likes to move around. He's a counter yeah. fighter. He can do both really well, but he accumulated so many exits within the second round, he was disqualified. It was heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking not a nice way to go is it not like, a nice way to go so the the change in the change in ring size is going to obviously change the the format of the fight the dynamics of the fight and it has already moved away from dynamic lead leg attacking to now being a little bit more uh, boxing focused because you do not want to be as a counter fighter you do not want to be anywhere near the edges because now you get minus points back then you got a warning the level of interpretation that yeah. really gives people frightens me there's been a few times now and i'm like all you need and this is no disrespect to referees at all but i'm not gonna sit here and lie either um you need one strong referee to feel there's an infringement and just by saying stop yep. in an overly assertive way is almost on the verge of an accusation that would allow yes. weaker corner referees to go yeah. Why is that center referee saying that in such a way? I need to do my job now. Somebody's done something wrong. Yeah, and, and that's it. And that's my biggest issue with a lot of this Absolutely. is the gray area for exits is massive. Huge. And it's yeah. a case of Huge. now that the center referee, well, ironically, I believe one of the rules is that the center referee is going to have a bigger say in regards to. Yeah, they don't need the unanimous decision anymore in relation. And there's pros and cons to that. And, and I mean, one of the pros is center referees, so no intention really, would look if, if an exit was made or, or a perceived exit was made, they'd look at the corner judge and they'd do this or this, you know. So they'd look and go, Was it so? Whatever the ref, the center referee has seen, they will mimic to it's the judge. So it's if a I, it's a suggestion, yeah, 
And if I'm doing my job as a corner judge, which should be just to score the fight, and I look up to the centre referee, and, he, and I'm not sure whether it's an exit or not, I'm more likely to go, yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was an exit, because so you're difficult. suggesting it to me. It's so um, difficult. Yeah, because so, not even that, but look at the language at Barrier. If I'm the centre referee, yeah. and we're coming from different, we're, we're really lucky in the fact that we've got referees from around the world. Yeah. And we are obviously super grateful, because no, it's a tart, it's a, it's a, th- it's a oh God, I hate it. And, um, I'm in the middle of the, I'm in the middle of my maybe and English isn't my first language. And I'm going exit. Yes. 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 You yeah. want to start nodding yeah. with me just because I'm nodding. It's, yeah. it's things like that, that people go, Oh, come on, Kevin. But yeah. ultimately like behavior, gesture, suggestive behavior on purpose or not yeah. comes to the forefront. And, uh, you know, I, unfortunately I don't like talking about stuff that I don't have answers for because I don't, but yeah. It's a massive aspect of our game. There's been some fights, like you've said, that is, is absolutely heartbreaking because you know the better fighter lost. And yeah. Yeah. that, for me, still, I, I'm never gonna, that's never going to sit right with me. No. And, you know, time will tell what happens. I mean, yeah, the centre referee and light contact on the tatamis now have more authority. Um, and that's great if the centre referee is highly experienced. If the centre referee uh, is, listen, is they have us, to be now. I yeah, think they now do. by putting these rules in, I think our area, what they call them, the, the referees in charge of the area, like the area official. Yeah, yeah, like the jury. Yeah, it's like one of the call it the jury panel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to see them for, going from what they were doing, which was the taking us back and then yeah. actually, you know, getting back involved again for this to actually work. Absolutely, absolutely. Otherwise, it's going to be a nightmare. And if it's done right, Kevin, um, we'll have centre referees that are as efficient as ring sports. The ring sports centre referees Frightening. are brilliant. Frightening, yeah. yeah. They are brilliant, man. They are so good at what they do. They don't miss a trick and they're very authoritative. And, you know, they, don't get me wrong, people make mistakes and that's fine, but they are very, very good. Compared to sometimes what you can see in Tatami is that, yeah, you did a course last week, you know, now you're going to you know, be centre referee in the I European Championship. It's hard because... You know, they're obviously given this kind of, you know, we need you to go and qualify some referees because we're short for them. Yeah. And then we're giving you four and there's no way they can overlook them while they're yeah. being the centre referee. So I do understand yeah. it. But totally. I do feel like when it comes to certain tournaments or certain divisions within a tournament, yeah. that there has to be a priority put back on having our very best referees roll their sleeves rolled up and back back on those areas. And totally. this rule change is definitely... Do I feel like centre referees in light contact specifically can take on more responsibility? Absolutely. Because yeah. it does feel right now they are there purely for safety, not saying that's not important. Yeah. However, they're gesturing when they're stepping out of exit. They're gesturing when someone gets hit anyway. All we're doing is giving them yeah. a basis to yeah. follow through what they're already seeing, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of these bad decisions centre referees were able to hide behind the fact they got a unanimous decision. Well, you know, everybody's saying it. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't make it right. No, the biggest rule I want to see changed. Yeah, what is it? Is, uh, I saw a tendency in the last couple of years now. I don't know if you were there. I don't think you were. A couple of fighters winning kickboxing fights without kicking. Oh, so a mandatory kick count. Yeah. I I don't even mind them. I just like an effort. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing in the rules to say they have to kick. Amateur boxing team and chuck them in like contact. No, yeah. There's nothing in the rule that says you have to kick in like contact. It blows my mind. Like, yeah, I know. I know. I know. Maybe maybe it'll come in in the future. I don't know. I mean, they brought back the eight count, they brought back the 10 count to get yourself up off the ground and stuff. So, you know, it's. It's it's going to turn into a very controlled style of full contact on the mats. That's that's the direction that like. Isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? No, not really, not really. As long as it maintains that dynamic kind of. Tell me that an ITF guy hitting you with a back kick isn't full contact. It's always full contact, man. Yeah, telling me like a broken ribs, I can tell you that. Yeah, for sure. A good cleans points fighter who decides to step in with jab cross at the moment you chamber it and you do it badly isn't full contact. Let's look. Light contact's a bit of a misnomer. Let's be honest. It is, yeah. Nobody in light contact is hitting you light. Not a chance. No, I can't remember ever saying. I can't remember teaching that. Never, like, no, never. Make sure you go easy on your opponents, you know. Yeah, just be careful. Keep it light, right? Because the it's only, like contact. Like, yeah, the only difference is you can't win by purposely knocking down your opponent. You can do that absolutely. in the ring, but you can't do it on the tatami. That's the only difference. But you still get clobbered, man. 
still got Robert. And you can still stop opponents with good shots. You can still, you know, yeah. get a technical knockout, but they can't continue. Now, let's see how that's going to pan out with these new rules um, and bringing the, the 10 and 8 count back in. But I understand the reason for bringing the count back in. It's got to do with the safety of the fighter and concussion and silly coaches pushing their fighters back out after they've been given a, you know, a pretty significant clout to the head or they've fallen and they've banged their head where they're stood back up when they're sent on again. That's dangerous stuff. Man. So yeah. This 10 seconds allows them, and 8 seconds allows that to kind of be challenged by the referee. What's your first tournament going to be this year? The first one that comes up. <laughs> I, I can't wait to get back into it. What's your gut? The, the, you the, the University Games was cancelled. I don't know if you got that update. Uh, we've Robin won the um, European Kick Light and Light Contact Juniors last year, so it's our first year as a senior, and we were targeting the use again. Yeah. So that's gone now. It said, like they said, it's going to be pushed down to further in the year, but I can't see it happening. I'm I'm praying for Bristol. Bristol will be nice. Yeah, I mean, look, the UK's in a good place at the moment with their vaccination rollout. So yeah, it, it depends of... on who they let in. Else, you know. Well, it's not really that for me is getting back into. If I if I went to one of these European countries that have had a couple already. Yeah, yeah. I'm not paying twelve hundred pounds to sit in a hotel for seven days afterwards. Oh yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it'd be nice to get something. It'd be nice to get something anyway. Yeah, yeah. Listen, we should do this again. Like, there's so much I haven't touched on half the stuff. Um, Happy to part two, dude. hundred percent. But if if listeners are anything like me, my attention span's awful. So yeah, yeah. um, Listen, Same thanks as... very much today. Oh, really... Pleasure, mate. It was good to chat. It was good to break up today and have a what conversation on a sport. Put some details on uh, the YouTube channel so people can actually touch base with yourself. In yeah, no problem. Stuff we've touched on. But, um, and one thing I would, as a club owner, more than just this kind of podcast, is, is I'd love to get you over at some stage and Be do fine, mate, yeah. kind of combined. We can do like a session together. Sure. Uh, and maybe invite, when we're allowed to invite other people. Um, yeah, yeah come to the club and get an aspect of listening to you talk from a coaching point of view, um, some groundwork on the mats. We can use the CrossFit gym for sure. It'd be great to catch up. Excellent. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Let's let's pencil that in for some time and everything's back to normal. Brilliant. Sounds Cheers, great. Mate. Good to chat. Thanks, thanks, thanks again for the invite. See you Take soon, care, mate. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.